in this episode of Howard's Blend. I didn't have nightmare scenarios where I would go on an audition and get totally belittled by a casting director or anything. I didn't. I don't have those horror stories. I just have these kind of dull kicks in the ball moments where, you know, they're like polite no's or, yeah, we'll get back to you and they never get back to you and, you know, um, things like that. We have the creator of the independent movie, Distance to Empty, Stefan Mohammedy. Welcome, everybody. Now, this is the first interview of this podcast. Stefan is a longtime friend, but I learned so many things about him that I didn't know before this interview. Now, a few things we discuss on this interview are the plot of his first solo feature-length script, Distance to Empty, how the seeds for this psychological thriller were planted and grew, and the challenges he faced trying to quote-unquote make it in the movie industry. I thoroughly enjoyed interviewing Stefan, and I know you enjoy listening to it. So here we go. What's going on, Stefan? How you doing? Hey, Howard. How's it going, man? Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Sure, sure. So I want to jump right into this. So uh, for our listeners out there who are interested in the movie, because I've it's you've been sponsoring every single episode and by sponsoring helping me out and i gotta say that really in a way you've you've sponsored us uh, at the, the uh, distance to empty team you've um helped us out doing the trailer um just motivationally um kind of you, you put me in check and i really appreciate everything you've done for us man absolutely and likewise you've been my accountability partner for this show. You've gotten on my ass, like Howard. Accountability you know, partner. What's like up? That. What's up with the What's up with the show? I mean, we're not too aggressive. We text each other. We'll be like, we try not to be passive aggressive about, but about it. But we're like, so hey, did you do that thing or how did that thing go? And, <laughs> and there's plenty of times where I've been tempted just to like lie, text, lie you, and say, oh yeah, I did it. It went well. But I would say a good. 99.9% I told you the truth. I was like, yeah, I got to get on that. So it helps, yeah. dude. Hey, man, that's that's the whole point of us being friends is keep each other accountable and help each other get ahead. So I want you to go over the plot of the movie. Yeah, so Distance to Empty, it's a psychological thriller. Um, it's something that I've combined two uh, plots that I had um, from two different projects and kind of combined them both. So it's about, um, it's based on true events. It's about um, a man who believes that his father actually is the second gunman who shot John F. Kennedy on uh, November 22nd, 1963. He was the grassy knoll assassin. And so I thought this was an interesting story and based off that account, um, essentially, the story is about tracking down his father, which uh, it kind of turns into a road movie, and he finds him in Los Angeles. And um, while he's in La La Land in Hollywood, his reality is kind of you know turned turned around, and what he thought was the case is partly true and partly not. And so it's kind of a um, you know that's where the thriller aspect comes in to the psychological. Now, what I didn't know, we just said, is it's based on a true story. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's um, it's based on true events. I'm going to say I can't validate a lot of it um, by you know not in books, but there it is based on true events. I can tell you that much. Um, okay. 
we'll have to get with my legal team and see what we can actually say what is true and what's not. But, you know, again, here's the thing. This is part of the rabbit hole that is the John F. Kennedy conspiracy that people, there's so many eyewitness accounts and so many different theories. So this is just another, another theory, conspiracy slash truth. I mean, it just depends on the eye of the beholder. So then based on, with the plot of the movie, which is he believes his father was right. the second gunman. Right. Is that a window into your belief that you think there was a second gunman? Yeah, it lines up. It totally lines up. I Oliver Stone's JFK was a huge um, slap in the face for me as a young teenager. I just it blew my mind and confirmed certain uh, things that I was taught from my father who had his own kind of alternate theories about... Um, things like that, political, uh, political nuances and stuff. So, yeah, I do believe that there was more. I do believe in a conspiracy. Conspiracy essentially means, dictionary-wise, need more a shared idea um, between two people. Yeah. It only take it takes one one more person to be conspiracy. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, it doesn't take a whole. It doesn't take a legion of people to be conspiracy. It could be you and me. We can create a conspiracy. Yeah. So Oswald, I think Oswald was somehow. There's too much evidence to point that he was involved to some degree. There's n- not as much evidence to say that he actually was the lone uh, killer. There's just too much. There's too much fishy things going on. You know. I tend to agree that he wasn't the mastermind, but he did have some some part in it. Yeah. Now, uh, I guess another question would be, and based on me working with you in the movie that I know, that part of the movie is, you've told me before that was kind of, you were fed up with Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but how I read it was just the whole atmosphere and the environment of Hollywood where it's basically kill or be killed. You take people, you eat them up, chew them out. And uh, you got kind of tired of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really did. I really did. Yeah. And a lot of it's my own fault. I wasn't as aggressive. Um, my teeth weren't as sharp as they needed to be. You know, I moved to L.A. late in life. I moved out to L.A. when I was 20, 29, 28. And to move out there, that that's late for L.A. I mean, if you move out when you're 18 and dumb... That's the good, that's, you got to be naive to move out and do something like that. Cause it takes, you don't even know all the different obstacles that it will take to make it in Los Angeles, whether that being an actor, writer, director, anything in the entertainment business, it's so saturated. So I had done a lot of scripts with my brother. I felt like we had a big arsenal of, of, uh, to, to contribute, to, to fortify ourselves, to find an agent. And, um, so we took, you know, a good two years to write like 12 screenplays, TV and movies. And, um, we learned to craft. And so, um, it's really, um, what, what really fed to my, after being in LA for about four years, uh, my frustration was, that it just, everything became so cliche that you walk into a Starbucks and there's like 10 screenwriters on their laptop writing. Some of them paid legit screenwriters and, and probably most of them like me, just, you know, aspiring to get paid for your passion. So, um, 
I stopped trying. I stopped, you know, had some good meetings with certain companies and made some connections here and there. And then, you know, when they, you know, LA is a big flaky town as well. And you had to have a thick skin and be persistent. That's one thing I didn't have in my wheelhouse was, um, thick skin or being terribly persistent. You know, I always thought that fate would, um, line things up for me as long as I kind of did 20%, the universe would do 80 or something like that. And, um, I still fight that lazy urge. You know, I'm creative, but I'm also lazy. So in LA, if you're lazy and talented, you're not going to really go anywhere unless you get really lucky. And I really, you know, I didn't get, I didn't get that Lana Turner, uh, break, you know, at the drugstore wearing a tight sweater, you know, um, <laughs> most of my clothes are tight because I'm overweight, but <laughs> anywho, that's another topic for another show. But anyway, yeah, I was really frustrated. That kind of led to me, uh, to start writing the script. And how long were you in, you went there late, but how long were you in LA? Man, I think I was there for five years. Five years. And you were there the whole time working with your brother? No. So what happened was um, my brother, we worked together. Um, well, I mean, for a long time. I, we're, we're best friends and all that. But I hope uh, so. Your brothers. Hmm? I hope so. Your brothers. Yeah. Well, yeah. My brother is my, you know, shoot. He was my father figure slash best friend slash, you know, confidant slash conciliary, you know, <laughs> he was everything. So long story short, um, when he got married, um, we basically kind of stopped writing as a team. It was just became that much harder to find the time to, uh, you know, collaborate, you know, that's the way life goes, you know? So, uh, when I went to LA, I was pretty much on my own. And then Stuart, my brother was in San Francisco at the time. He moved to LA, um, we kind of lined up and we thought we were going to kind of get the band back together, but really life got on the way and it's so hard. I mean, he was, he just had a, a baby. Um, so like being, having a new family, all, a lot of his energy had to be devoted to like staying above water in Los Angeles, you know, with a baby and, and just kind of being the, the, the breadwinner. So, uh, time to collaborate was few and far between. And then I got in a relationship as well. And that was his own distraction. So essentially that killed any potential of sustaining, um, that collaboration. So that was also another thing that flipped me into kind of, uh, uh, floundering around in Los Angeles because I, I didn't have my writing partner. I was in an unhappy relationship and I was just kind of you know, rudderless. So, um, the frustration, it, thankfully I had the foresight to channel it into a script that is actually my first feature script that, um, I wrote alone without my brother. So, um, it's very angsty. The first draft is very angsty and existential and all that. And, um, over the years, since I've been trying to get this off the ground, I've refined it. Um, I think to a plot that, um, you know, taking from real events and whatnot, um, I was able to, I think, it's, I think I'm still interested in seeing this film be made. That's the thing is, um, I, I, I need to shoot it in order to understand what it was I was trying to capture. I don't really know what I was trying to capture, to be honest with you. So you kind of learn as you go, I guess, in a way. Yeah, it's still an adventure to me. I mean, I'm still... <sighs> I'm not bored of the idea. It's been over 10 years since the, you know, the germation of this uh, story into what it is now, which is basically we have a trailer that you helped profoundly 
in making. So we have a, a trailer, which really I need to call it a short film at this point because the trailer is like over six minutes. So I'm going to commit to saying I have a short film that I'm going to end uh, very soon. I'm going to be doing a uh, crowdfunding for to try to get the, the feature money and do it. I mean, you never know. Hopefully we can get above 20, 30, 40 grand. You know, you never know. Hey, got to do it. Um, you're not going to get anywhere unless you try. I, mean, I, I can claw all these cliches out there, but. Well, you helped, man. You helped. I mean, you're, you were a actor. You were the cameraman. You were the lighting dude. You're, you know, everything. So. Mannequin hugger. <laughs> and you, you, you guys were adorable. I'm sorry. I wish you guys didn't, wish you didn't have to, I didn't have to return that mannequin. But Yeah, I had to tell my wife that I wasn't cheating on her. You know, with the mannequin. She'll see it in the trailer. Well, she actually already seen it, I think. Yeah, she's she had already, the opportunity. She's already seen that. You. So I showed her the trailer as well. So. Um, now you may have covered this, but you said you wrote scripts with your brother. So now did you pitch those to any, uh, we had, yeah. So I got, um, I had a couple meetings with HBO, which was one of the first people I wanted to work with. Obviously HBO is the big boy on the block. This was, you know, again, probably about 10, more than 10 years ago. This was back in 2007, 2008 ish. We had a couple meetings with uh, the head of uh, drama, and it was about a pilot that uh, it was a pilot that we wrote, and we wrote a two-hour pilot and six-hour, six one-hour episodes. I mean, that's a lot when you as a spec, speculative. You know, when you when you when I say spec script, that means you just writing it in the hopes that one day it would sell to the right buyer or the interested party. I mean, you're throwing it a hell Mary pass. So, so to write a episode with a pilot, two hours long and one hour, six, one hour episodes, that was a lot. We were passionate about the project and we had Dwight Yoakam in mind for the lead. And just by happenstance, crazy luck here in Dallas, I was still living. Uh, I met Dwight Yoakam at a borders and there's no more borders around, but it was a bookstore borders books. And, um, the abbreviated story was that essentially, you know, he said, yeah, um, here's my manager's contact information. I called his manager, Gary Evans, and um, told him, hey, you know, I'm going to be p- pitching this this pilot, this TV show to the big boys. And would you be interested? And he's at the time, he's like, yeah, 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 sure. I mean, if you get, you know, if you get it, you know, someone, some heat on it, let me know. And that gave me kind of the the confidence to go. I called FX, I called Showtime, I called, you know, all the, the Hollywood directory is, is, you know, open to anybody that bothers to open the, the book. You can call anyone you want to. And, and I said, look, this is what we have going on and we have this person interested, you know, which was, you know, pseudo true, you know, um, the manager gave me his blessing, so to speak. So HBO, we had a meeting with them. Um, before the meeting, actually, I called Gary Evans and, said, hey, we got HBO, we're going to have a pitch meeting, I just want to let you know, you know, the progress on it. And he's like, oh, no, uh, Dwight doesn't want to do that anymore, which I don't know if it's true. I don't even know if Dwight Yoakam knew about the project. I mean, the, they were just bullshitting you. He could have been BSing, and I don't even know if he's still managing um, Dwight Yoakam, which I'm a huge fan of Dwight Yoakam. Obviously, we spent that much energy on one uh, pilot in with him, his picture on the wall, to motivate these episodes to be written for him. So, anyway... Um, that kind of kicked me in the gut to hear that, but at the same time, when I went into the meeting with HBO, they didn't even ask me about Dwight Yoakam. They didn't. They didn't even. They they kind of just based on the material were interested in our writing ability, which was 
great to hear. Um, that you know, Hollywood always has a bunch of stuff already in the queue. They, Hollywood usually knows what they're going to do two, three years, ten years from now. Mm-hmm. Everything's slated. So really, the meeting that we've had, the, that we had a couple meetings about, was really just, hey, we like your writing, but um, we're getting this other show off the ground. They didn't see it outright, but they were fishing to see if we'd be good for other projects that they had. Because this was when Sopranos was in, leaving the air, you know, the next six months, they weren't going to have the Sopranos. This was way before, you know, a throne of... Uh, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, uh, which is off the air now, too. So this is an old story. But um, So they were, they were they're fishing, fishing for a talent that could write for yeah, me and my brother blockbuster. Yeah. And in the meeting, we were also doing other pitch. We were pitching other ideas that we hadn't written, but we had, you know, we thought they would be cute or whatever. And none of the, nothing stayed on the ground. Nothing stayed on the wall. I mean, so um, really what we could have done if we played our cards right, I think is we could have been writers on uh, True Blood because they're asking us a lot of vampire questions. They're like, um, so what do you guys think about vampires? <laughs> Literally. And um, my brother and I looked at each other and we're like, Kind of shrugged our shoulders, like, nah, not a big fan. Vampires, thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> we were like, nah, we don't really do anything like that. And what do you this think was of Twilight and fuck that. This shit. was before Twilight, so the True Blood kind of got the ball rolling with that whole. I've never seen that show, so I don't. You know, yeah, I know I, it's about vampires, but I don't. Oddly enough, my mom had read the book um, that was that series was based on, and she's like, you know, Stefan, this would be a good book if you ever get in that position. This would be a good book to base a movie on, and. Lo and behold, HBO made a whole series about it, and I, I, I shanked that whole thing. We could have been writers on True Blood, and then it would have been really cool to work with the people in that show because they're good writers. Alan Ball was the head writer on True Blood, and I was a big fan of his since American uh, American Beauty. So, anyway. So, it's only based on because you weren't really interested in writing it about vampires at the time that you well they didn't even phrase it that's the thing you got to decipher these meetings they speak in code in hollywood so they don't tell you that it's true but they just kind of give you like oh do you like vampires exactly they didn't say we have we have a project in the works there were there's they they ask us certain questions that like yeah what do you think of uh soap operas what do you think of what do you think of vampires supernatural things like that and we're like everything that we had come up to pitch them was like kind of comedy based which is kind of stupid on our part because we realized that we were speaking to the head of drama, not comedy. Okay. So we're pitching comedy to a drama wow. executive, and that was just kind of yeah, that was our first meeting, and we didn't. We're so fucking nervous. Got to be a kick in the balls too, because it like, was okay, kicking the balls. Brother. You go up there to pitch your show that you've been working on very hard, and then there it's kind of like, uh, whatever. Let's just talk about something else. And yeah. Okay. Yeah, and you know, um, and honestly, the uh, I don't want to say the executive's name, but that executive is still there and is actually running the pretty much the whole show. So, um, we we had follow up conversations with her, and um, uh, you know, conference call meetings with her, pitching some other stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's you know, um, but uh, but that's the problem is like I didn't I didn't I didn't go hard enough. Instead of being invigorated by that experience. I looked at the failures of it or what I perceived were the failures and that kind of <clears throat> didn't, I didn't create that sense of urgency. Oh yeah, let's keep going. I kind of re- retarded myself into like, Oh yeah, maybe pers- I'm not so good at this or whatever. Your perspective was all wrong. You didn't look at the fact that, man, we just got time with like the head of drama at HBO, which 
there's probably, um, this is, I'm just purely guessing. I don't know the Hollywood industry, but there's probably thousands of people that would love to have that time with them. Mm-hmm. And, but you got it. And it's all um, off of my, uh, my own, you know, calling them just kind of being naive about it, but having the belief and positivity and persistence, like getting that, that was a, that was months in the making that, that meeting we had. I mean, I would send them postcards, you know, cute little cinematic postcards saying, hi, this is Stefan. Just want to make sure, you know, that, you you know, blah, blah, blah. Like nice little handmade postcards that kept that relationship alive until that meeting. So I should have just kept doing more of that. I should have just kept hitting my wall, my head against the wall. Um, But, you know, when you get in a relationship too, that distracts you. And then, like I said, my brother really wasn't going to be a factor anymore as a writing partner at least consistently and then eventually he moved across uh in, in, to rhode island where his wife's from so that was like there's no way i was gonna i'm gonna have to start writing things on my own so distance and empty is like a it's a call to arms to be my own independent um creativity as well so it's has a lot of meaning for me personally so even if you guys accepted the position, then your brother would have left or would have had to leave. Well, I don't think he, I think he would have adjusted that. But again, like our, our motivation after that meeting, we were so hard on ourselves. And we we're also editing our first short film um, called Dandy, which Distance and Empty is kind of loosely based on Dandy. I kind of took Dandy, our short film, uh, based on an actor who uh, basically thinks he's someone he's not thinks he's a part in the movie that he auditioned for and so we believe the reality so that irreality what is reality what's not motif um that's the that's the first of the two you said where you took the two stories and put it together into and then the jfk story i melded the jfk story with with dandy and into a feature and that and that was um so but to answer your question you know if if we if that HBO meeting turned into a paying gig, then I know 100%. My, my brother's so passionate and loves film and all, everything. But he's, you know, he's had since had two other kids. So he's, you know, had to be the breadwinner and everything. So unless I can create an offer for him to, hey, because he's got a great, he works in Silicon Valley. He works for, you know, the top dogs in Silicon Valley. He's doing just fine. Um, but his, I know his passion lies with where, mine is too it's just a matter of practicality so the meeting with hbo where you know it didn't work out the way you did Mm -hmm. that that combined with what other were there any specific instances Mm -hmm. that other than that meeting with hbo that led up Mm -hmm. to you getting kind of fed up with yeah with hollywood or i guess not i guess burned out i guess is the best way to say it and I would say that's a fair question. Like, I, and when I say fair, I mean like I didn't have nightmare scenarios where I would go on an audition and get totally belittled by a casting director or anything. I didn't. I don't have those horror stories. I just have these kind of dull kicks in the ball moments where you know they're like polite no's or yeah, we'll get back to you, and they never get back to you, and you know. Um, Things like that. So I had meetings with um, producers that had made a decent movie in the 80s and were looking to get like maybe a writer to help them write this thing. And we, you meet them at the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, you know, on, you know, either in the valley or over the hill in uh, Hollywood or something. And 
nice, pleasant meetings. And, you know, while you're having a meeting and he's pitching you his, you know, half-baked idea, you would see celebrities ordering. You know, like the Hollywood really is, you will, if, if you just bother to turn your neck left or right and you're in Hollywood and you stay put for an hour or so, you will see someone that you recognize. Most likely someone from the 80s, 90s, some rerun, some show you loved back in the day or some actor. Some, you know, those. Anyway, I'm, I'm avoiding the answer. But particularly, there was no particular moment. It was a, just a, it was a series of maybe a half dozen... Uh, People, producers, uh, uh, even auditions. I would audition for a couple things too. I didn't have an agent for anything, so they would just be something I would find online or whatever. And uh, I auditioned to be a host for some like uh, uh, um, film critic, online film critic deal. Uh, And it was like I I was decent. I got a call back, but I didn't follow through with it. You know. Because, again, I was just kind of heading into my own kind of slight depression of not having my backup partner there to reinforce what our plan was back in Dallas when we were writing all these screenplays. So I wasn't the best at adapting to my surroundings. And I also, you know, helped my mom move back to move to L.A. as well. So I kind of was just distracted by family. I was distracted. I allowed myself, I should say. I wasn't distracted. I allowed myself to be distracted in a relationship you know, with family matters, um, I, I I avoided the issues that needed to be addressed, and so distance is empty was just a. I wrote that in Studio City. Um, my girlfriend at the time was a nanny to some big stars, uh, big Hollywood players and stuff. So um, I would see them. I went to pool parties. You know, she would sneak me into pool parties and. Uh, well, not sneak me in because they had the permission of the the Hollywood person. I'm not going to name, but you know, uh, at these pool parties, I saw Anthony Kiedis from the Chili Peppers there, Patricia Arquette, um, Joaquin Phoenix, uh, Casey Affleck. You know, like you see, like these people just mulling around in the pool party, and here I am, like no agent, um, no 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 agency, no agent, no manager, no nothing. Um, just feeling like I didn't have the permission to talk to any of these celebrities. I didn't talk to any of the celebrities because I didn't want to get my girlfriend uh, fired, you know, because she was getting really good money. She's, she was from Belgium and she spoke French. So a nanny that speaks French in LA gets paid more than a nanny that only speaks Spanish. A uh, hmm. little nuance there for you, a little tidbit. But um, the frustration was just many things. This frustration is just going to Starbucks and, Realizing you're one of many millions of people doing this, not only in Hollywood, but just doing it across the globe. You know, I just allowed myself to, I psyched myself out, man. I really did. But you never lost, I mean, in a way, from what we talked about before, um, you never lost really the passion. You just kind of got burned out. It's still there, but I guess the fire kind of dwindled a little Mm -hmm. bit, but it was still there. But Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess the question is, why now? I mean, did anything change to say, okay, I want to do this again. I want to try. Cause I know you want to go back eventually to LA again. Um, yeah. Like you said, it's like, I've heard that I've heard other creatives say this as well. Like, Oh, well they just don't know. They don't have anything else to do. They don't know what else they don't know what else they could do other than this, their passion. And I know what else I can do, which is sales. I've been doing a sales job for 
almost well six seven years or whatever so sure i can sell things i could talk to people i'm slightly articulate you know um i can think and run my mouth at the same time you know i say you know decently but um i have to finish what i started because that's one thing i i didn't really do i never really developed that discipline in my 20s and that trickled in my 30s so in my you know my late 30s, 40s, I really realized I had to uh, just at least finish the trailer, at least just finish the screenplay, at least just do that. And then, um, you know, at least just shoot the short, at least just shoot the feature film. I've done a short film. I've done two short films. I've done student films. But it's, you know, I didn't lose the passion. I just lost, um, I lost faith that an opportunity would come by. So when you get older, you just kind of say, you know what, just make your own luck. Just who gives a crap? Just just do it, you know, and say, you know, fuck the rest. So I'm in that point where, like, yeah, I still battle insecurity, and I hesitate. I hesitate way too many days. I waste too many days in a week. But um, you know, finding people like you that help motivate and keep things in perspective has helped a lot. And I do have a passion for film. I'm good at it. I'm a good writer. Um, I have an eye for an aesthetic, for the aesthetic framing of a, of a shot. Um, I know, you know, acting. I, lo- I love actors. I love acting as well. But um, so I love the whole thing. It's just you got to give yourself approval sometimes, man. And I agree completely with what you say because I can understand more or less because hey, I've mentioned this on this show before. This podcast. I think I've been planning this podcast for over. Over a year and a half? I think it's something like that. Two years? You told me about over a year, maybe over a year ago, but you, to your credit, man, you just kind of did it. I didn't see you hesitate that long. Again, I don't know how long I was in your head before you told me, but hats yeah, off. I, I, you you already have, you know, you're already on iTunes. You've already done 10 episodes or whatever, so. Yeah, and uh, so the reason I'm saying it is because I kind of, I, I know how you feel mm-hmm. when it's, you know, you got that voice in your head that tells you, like, you know, you're you fucking suck. You're too old. You're too fat. You're too this. Why too waste that? your time? No one's ever going to want to read your stuff. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it's, I guess the way I look at it, I kind of, I'm trying to put myself into those actors' heads, whatever. Because you know, you, I, you, I hear actors who came with nothing. They had no money and now they're worth millions of dollars. Maybe yeah. they thought the same thing. Like, oh, yeah. You know, there's going to be no way I'm going to be able to make it. But like what you did. Yeah. You, Based what you just told me, how you said, okay, I need, I need to finish what I started. Let me do the trip. Let me finish the script. Let me do the mm-hmm. short, the short film mm-hmm. slash trailer. Mm-hmm. You know, you're to me, that sounds yeah. like what I've done before is I'm, I'm trying to relate it to myself that mm-hmm. uh, to understand it better is that you're just trying to get like small victories. Like, okay, mm-hmm. let me just take a little step here. Let me take a little step here. Mm-hmm. And that's. And that's yeah. what I've done in the past too to help, like, okay, mm-hmm. to help get over a hurdle. Mm-hmm. You know, don't look at the top of the mountain. I just want to get to that first ledge. Yeah, and really, even if you had all the, um, even if you had the money and the crew and the backing and all that, you can only shoot one scene at a time. So even just using a film metaphor, um, even if you're, you know, Spielberg, he can only do one shot at a time. That's it. That's all you can do is do one podcast at a time. You can only do one rep rep at a time. And, uh, you know, when you're younger, you don't know that. You don't really know that that's, you're so impatient. I was so impatient when I was in my 20s. Um, One little slip up and you think it's the end of the world. Yeah. When you realize that, like, yeah, I mean, anybody who's great, 
or I guess quote unquote successful have yeah. fucked up so many times and they just the important thing is you you learn from it. And I would have learned from not being, you know, a success in film or whatever at my age, you know, like it, it's like you see other people that had glory days in their twenties and they had, you know, certain movies or even musicians, you know, certain bands that make it big. And that there's always gonna be a dip. There's gonna be a drought. There's gonna be a plateau, drought, fall off the cliff type moment. And, you know, when you're twenty and in maybe even thirties and you're immature thirties, then are you really psychologically and spiritually prepared to endure that um, isolation from the top? I see most times people will be defeated by it. But when you're like me and you're just kind of like a fledgling 40-year-old, you know, it's like whatever victories come after this are going to be great and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy every moment of it. And then if it ever, if there's another lull in my career, once I get my career established, it would only be an echo of what I felt in my 30s and 20s. It was no big deal. It's fine. Life moves on. Just, you know, I have a better perspective about whether I'm going to fail or uh, even achieve greater things, you know. Amplifying what you said is um, that it's good that you had those quote-unquote failures, mm-hmm. you know, you got to LA late, but you still mm-hmm. had those failures. Cause I mean, the first thing that comes to my head when you talk about that is like people today where, you know, the front to make themselves look like they're yeah. especially younger people, but you know, Oh yeah, I'll go rent out like an expensive car mm-hmm. and make it look like I'm, you know, mm-hmm. fancy and wealthy. And it's like, you got, it's, it's a benefit to go through those tough times. If you know how to, if you, and I credit to my family and, and my friends, um, for helping keep perspective, you know, keeping you in check. You also want you don't want people just to keep you in check as they're like, oh, you're not being you. Like, look, there's no there's no ceiling on who you can be. Be who you want to be. You need to be around people, family members that don't pigeonhole you to say, oh, yeah, you can't you can't do that. You're only this person. That's not your friend. That's not a true family member. So I've been surrounded by people, supportive people. Um, that let you just kind of talk and work out your problems. And um, a lot of people don't have that either. So people that make it big and they're young and they they feel like there's so much pressure to be someone they're not um, or be someone that they don't want to be anymore, but they don't have the tools or the people around them to uh, talk it out, you know, logically think about it and have time to heal. You know, that's why I really like your shows that I think essentially what I'm trying to do as well as it's art should be healing, you know, spiritually, um, mentally, it should heal people and, um, make them feel better. I mean, you can't cure cancer through it, but we can try, you know, we can try to put people in a good mood. And if you're in a good mood, maybe that leads to, um, maybe you don't, you know, cause certain illnesses, you know, it all, it all just, it all intersects. So, you know, people that are more aware, I think your show's bringing awareness to life. You know, it's a good thing. I've said it. Um, if you, if I can just help one person, you know, that's, that's it. You know, I'm, I'm not out. I'm not, I mean, it'd be great if millions of people would listen. I'm sure it'd be great if Definitely. millions of people would Money's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, even if, if I truly help like one person, then yeah, I mean, that's to me, that's worth a million people that just ah, casually listen and don't really take the advice yeah. or, you know, take it to heart and at least try it. Yeah. And and if that can be, you know, rewarded monetarily too, again, that's not wrong either. 
So now back to distance to empty. So what is, when it's all said and done, it's ready to be released, what's the plans? Are you planning to do it? Mm. Is it going to be released to theaters? Are you doing like festivals? Festivals, yeah. I mean, like theaters would be, that's, even big budget movies these days, a lot of times don't make it to theaters. And if they do, they take two weekends and they're gone, you know, and that's studio backing. So really all I plan is doing, um, you know, festivals, anyone that will accept it, you know, and then it's really getting the attention of, you know, judges or even people in the audience, producers, anyone that's, you know, cineast who has connections that likes your work. And, you know, I'm open for sponsorship, you know, like, um, cause we're going to shoot it for film wise. It's going to be like a no budget film. Obviously, you know, with crowdfunding, we're going to need thousands of dollars, but, um, it, it really, it's it, when you compare, you know, it to, you know, the other players out there, it's really a no budget film. So, um, but technology is so good these days. Like, you know, a DSLR camera has such a cinematic, um, quality to it. And then I'm learning more about the editing as well. You can really make a good polished product cheaply. Um, so that's why we're not asking for the sky and when we're doing this crowdfunding, uh, push. So, uh, film festivals is definitely the target. Just get your name out there. Mm-hmm. You get the buzz going, and then hopefully that leads to the plan. I'm not going to say hopefully, but the plan is then that will lead mm-hmm. to more roles. Yeah, and um, getting, getting that confidence, um, because being in that writing seat for so many years and not really, my first passion was shooting, being behind the camera, but then I realized you have to be, like Kira Kosawa says, you have to be a good writer to be a good director. So I took that to heart, and I got, you know, all my energy was focused on being a good writer and um, I think I became that. So now it's just exercising that cinematic behind the camera muscle that kind of atrophied while I was being a writer. So um, I'm, I've been enjoying since doing that trailer with you, I've been, I've learned a lot more, you know, behind the camera and then editing as well. So even once we get this crowdfunding thing going on, there's other uh, TV pilot teasers I want to shoot and, uh, lob over to Hollywood to see um, maybe I can sell pilot go back to that because TV and film it doesn't matter to me I, I, I love them both now um, I guess based on what you were just saying would lead to another question of mine is that can you go over what some of your other projects you're working on or at the moment or um, yeah without pitching it because you know as a writer you get paranoid about pitching Good log lines, good one-liners that you feel like it'll shoot. I don't want your audience member to like get it before you know. Don't don't don't. Hey man, don't you don't feel comfortable. <laughs> it's, uh, but no, essentially they're half-hour comedies. There's a couple half-hour comedy ideas um, I think would sell really well um, if I could just you know get a few actors on a couple weekends and shoot it and spice it together. I think it would be a, a good. Uh, worth having a meeting over, you know, to uh, someone from Netflix or HBO or ABC. Yeah, you know, I'm not too choosy these days. And <laughs> my, my skills is kind of open. <laughs> so I, I was, th- I thought of another question here while you were, while you babbling. were going over the, uh, <laughs> no, I won't say babbling, but one question, cause I've dealt with this, with this podcast. Is there any, fear or hesitation that you have about releasing 
the short film slash trailer in the movie. Are you afraid of criticism? Are you afraid of yes. that people might not like it? I am. Uh, I am. I'm only afraid of it because I've wait, I wasted slash waited so long to get it all done that just to say that, okay, for the years that I spent dilly-dallying over this crowdfunding strategy, and if I only get like $300 and it's all from family members, I'd be like, ugh, that would be a kick in the balls, a big kick in the balls, like, you know, where you get the tip on both balls, you know, the whole scrotum gets kicked. Like, one of those things. That's I, I know I would feel that, but I would get over it, and I'd free myself to do, you know, imply, uh, implement another strategy that, you know, well, I'll just do a flanking maneuver then, you know, what have you. So that's my only hesitation to be honest with you is like, yeah, if I don't even get a respectable amount of money through crowdfunding, eh, yeah, I'd be disappointed a little bit for a little while for a few days, but um, I'd also be excited just to just get the ball rolling for other things. So um, maybe the other projects then would help fund that could go quicker, you know. Again, my, the response time has to be faster. That's one thing I'm I'm re- learning about my passion is that I, I've I've been afforded time to emotionally recoup over certain disappointments and whatnot. But you got to increase your reaction time as you get older because you have less time, you know, to like cry about things and mull it over and feel angsty about it. Just like keep keep throwing it you know because everything's getting more disposable like you're saying how you know younger people are getting um putting on more fronts and stuff well there's more access for people to lie about themselves through social media you know instagram accounts and a guy you know shoots a selfie in front of a boat and he says yeah that's my boat even though it's not his boat like you can lie about who you are and there's more deception and more ego in this millennial generation but i think it's more protection from failure. Hmm. You know, when I was when I was a kid, I remember my dad telling me, like, you know, Howard, I love you, but if you're ever thrown in jail, good luck. You know, I'm not bailing you out. <laughs> you know, cool. If you don't have the money, I'm not bailing you out. Yeah. You know, and I not that you were a and, rebel. You were not a problem child. No, no, of course no. not. And you know, hey, I may have like old man syndrome, whatever. Like, well, when I was a kid, we never did that. But you know, we did other things that kids now or young people now do that we think is stupid. But it's a fair criticism, I think. And and, and the reason why I mentioned that whole thing was just to say that just because one pilot or one thing you put up on YouTube or one crowdfunding surge didn't go your way, guess what? There's five other crowd surfing or crowdfunding, sorry, crowdfunding uh, platforms I could put my uh, short film slash trailer on and, and try another way. Or then let's try the pilot, you know, shooting a teaser pilot and let's just try because there's more access in a way. There's less people in the top tier of the Hollywood it's harder to gain, gain that true power access, but there's more smaller platforms or big platforms, but there's more niche genres out there that you can actually expose your creativity to. So there's pros and cons to technology. The pro is right now I can get my stuff. I can get a YouTube channel. I can get some heat off uh, doing webisodes, whatever. Um, and that could lead to a bigger time slot for a bigger player. But um you know, 
Um, so yeah, I don't need to cry about a failed strategy. That's just a waste of time. But I probably would cry for a couple of days if crowdfunding doesn't go well. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Well, I, and uh, again, I agree with you because like social media can be good and bad. You know, it can be bad that people waste all their time on it, mm-hmm. you know, doing unproductive activities, looking at what, you know, the latest supermodels, but hanging out. Hey, not that I don't like seeing that. Sometimes good you to need look to. At. Yeah. Sure. I mean, but, um, <laughs> you know, you're talking about, you know, putting the webisodes on, on YouTube. And I'm talking about this because anybody out there who's wanting to kind of do what Stefan does, like become, you know, make movies, write scripts, mm-hmm. I mean, you now have access on your phone to the rock to you know who whatever star you know they probably get thousands of messages every day but you never know when they look at yours and like hey look at this little short film i made or i have this idea Mm -hmm. and they're like holy shit i like this let me talk to a director or producer about it you know but and i also see where when you based on what you talked earlier about you know you kind of got tired of trying 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 you know Mm -hmm. And how you evolved through age. You know, now your, your, um, I guess the way you look at it, your viewpoint is that, well, you know, it didn't work. I'm just going to try it a different way. Because here's the thing. Um, I, I, I remember when I was in my twenties, even like, you know, before I graduated college, because even in college, you're still kind of in a suspended child, like adolescent type phase. And, um, the fear when you're creative is like, oh, shoot, I have to make it big before I have to get a real boring, depressing job that will crush my creative spirit and thus I'll render you uh, an average Joe Blow with no hopes and dreams. Like, that was the fear, that was the angst, and that was the push of, like, let's get the script written, let's, you know, call Hollywood, and let's get it, let's get that Hollywood paycheck money because I don't want my soul to be crushed by having a nine to five job. Well, what happened to me was I had to get a nine to five job. Um, and you try to pick something that's going to give you as much freedom as possible. And I, you know, um, but even if it's a nine to five literal office job and you're chained to the desk, you know, nine to five, then look, you will still be creative. Okay. It's just you're going to have the validation as a, of a paycheck, and that paycheck could, um, it could render your creativity. Um, it, it could shave the edges off it, and it could make you complacent, and that could lead you to just being a regular citizen who's not doing this creative thing. So that hasn't happened to me. Um, and you have to ask yourself: Look, if you had a million dollars, would you still do this one passion project that you want to do? If the answer is yes, then you know you're then you're pretty legit. You're too legit to quit, you know. So you could ask if you weren't going to get paid at all for it. Would you, would you still do it? Would exactly. You, you and I think you have to do that for yourself. I mean, for your listeners, just to ask that question. Be you know, take a breath and answer. You know, honestly, because if the answer is like no, I want to do it, then great. You'll find something else. Just because you got to change, just because you replace that one passion, doesn't mean that you're going to go passionless. It just means that one passion was just was just kind of an apparition or, you know, a mirage or whatever. So, for me, that hasn't changed. I've asked myself, honestly, look, is film really the thing? Is writing really the thing? Is acting really? Like, yes, I love the whole thing. I love being around creative people. I love laughing and I love just, you know... Creating something. I'm, I was I was raised, you know, I was raised with cable, you know, <laughs> raised with Cinemax and HBO and MTV generation. I mean, I love 
the pomp and circumstance of it all. So. And, and that's important that you know, what you just said, that you have the passion for it. Because, um, I mean, for me, I can tell, and I'm not a movie critic. I'm not, a, you know, whatever I watch, movies, whatever it's on. I can tell when somebody makes a movie and they you can tell they're kind of just mailing it in. Like, okay, I'm just doing this. You know, you can, like you see an actor. And Nick Cage. I love Nick Cage, though. But <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Nick Cage. Shout out to Nick Cage, man. No, really a brilliant actor. Unfairly criticized, but yeah, he would have to admit, yeah, he's phoned in some some definitely. Man, they're doing movies. it for a paycheck. And uh, I think of, uh, what's the guy? I saw the latest Transformers movie. And I think I was bored, and I can never get that two yeah. hours back. It was Anthony Hopkins. It's like yeah, it was worth it. Was like Medieval Knights and Transformers. Yeah, and, and, I mean, it's like I I can understand that if they need a paycheck, like hey, they got a huge mortgage or whatever. And hey, is yeah, you know, I can forgive the elderly because the elderly are so neglected these days. Like hey, Anthony needs needs some money. He could do Transformers. That's fine. But it's the people in their prime that can go for other gigs. That you know that. The top age group for male protagonists is, you know, uh, 20 to 50, you know, 20 to 40. It's that sweet spot. I still so. got seven years then. So, seven years. Well, 50, yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. Oh, my God. We are that age. Yeah, motherfucker. But, if you, but you, you're aging well, so maybe you're, you'd be the 60 would be the new 50. I, I hope so. I but, hope so. I have, I don't really have any desires to be a big time Hollywood actor or anything like that. But I I have said once that like those sci horrible sci fi movies. I was like, well, mm -hmm. if that was my career, like I could just get to do like shitty movies and mm -hmm. really act horribly and make a paycheck. Well, well, you know, okay, I could think of worse ways to make money. Yeah. But what I was saying is that you know you have the passion for it. Now, when you see somebody who has really really passion about a project and they make a movie. It shows in the movie. Yeah, it and does. Eventually, people are going to see that too. If you're just mailing it in, just like with me watching, you watching Nick Cage in some movies yeah. and me watching Anthony Hopkins and the Transformers, yeah. you can tell. And it's like, really? You know, I mm -hmm. like the guy, but he just kind of, I mean, mm -hmm. why did you waste your time making this? You know, whatever. I understand you need a paycheck, but your passion shows either in the script, if you're whatever, you're writing a book or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the movie. And then, I, I firmly believe that people are drawn to that, you know, because when you have, I mean, it may not be immediately. Yeah. You know, if you're just doing bullshit, then I, I think people would be Generally, people have a that. good meter. You know, the mass populace, the, yeah, they, just because it's, you know, pop, just because it's popular doesn't mean that it's crap, you know. Um, I'd say most people don't, have a full spectrum of cineast palette. They don't have a full, you know, they're not watching Tarkovsky movies or um, they haven't, you know, seen that many neo-Italian post-realist movies or, you know, even, uh, uh, um, you know, any kind of a, any kind of esoteric director you want to insert um, Fellini movies or whatever. But I think... Um, I think once they get a taste of it, it's kind of like a like an alternative band that your big brother gives you a tape of, and you're like, "Oh wow, who are these people? I never heard of them because it wasn't on MTV." And he heard through a friend who th heard a friend. So referral, I think. I think if you're gonna be a no budget band or a film, and 
you are passionate and you're being authentic to the to as best as you can be um it's not going to necessarily going to get the mass popular plateau it's not going to make um it's not going to be easily uh, accessible to the mass culture it usually would be a referral kind of like you know when you think about um south park was uh, internal joke referral you know it was like it, they did a, the Trey Parker Matt Stowe did a um short film of it or whatever like a christmas holiday calling card for a friend and it made its way through comedy central and george clooney and here and there it was this kind of like a cult thing that you you uh you're you're in the cool in crowd if you know about it so um i think i've i think my i think distance and empty is going to fall into kind of that category now it hasn't been shot yet so i can't i can't i can't vouch for it just yet but i could say everything looks good everything all the vital signs look really good about this project i'm excited well that makes two of us man because thanks reading it and you know actually taking part in it and it's like you did I mean, a great honestly, job and i'm not saying this because you're my friend believe me i'm i mean that's to everybody out there i'm not or that i'm handing you this 500 hundred dollar <laughs> cash money I we were not supposed to talk about that oh, is this either. being filmed no no we're not okay, we're yeah, not wait, doing the record's still on but um i mean like reading it and then i mean to be honest when i first read it this was dude it was a few years ago like and you gave me the screen four years ago and i read it and i made notes in it like okay and i, and I was completely off i made these notes like okay why it's is he doing this and I said, hmm, and I asked myself questions in the notes so I could go back and read it later. And then we met at a bar and you told me like, okay, what do you think? And like, you know, and then you, I think you asked me like, do you understand what's going on? <laughs> and I said, well, he's kind of doing this, this, this. And you're like, yeah, you're completely wrong. Well, I don't think I would say wrong. I would say, well, I was trying to go for, because again, film is interpretive and it wasn't a fun script to read. It's not a fun script to read. It's not one of those scripts that are fun to read. Well, if you Sometimes don't know what's happening, I mean, when you explained it to me, then it's like when I read it again, it's like, okay, yeah, now I kind of, you know, okay, and I can see where the, the that's why are fitting I, together. I need to shoot it. That's why I just look like, I know things will change in the shooting. The script is uh, just an outline. There's going to be things cut out and things added. Um, but for me to even understand what it is, I'm really, I think there's going to be a fourth meaning, meaning to this project once it's filmed and i'm able to watch it as objectively as possible um and i really look forward to that moment because i've been you know again having this project uh, around me for 10 years plus um uh it's ready to be harnessed now but yeah i mean yeah you 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 had good input on it and um it is kind of a certain abstract you know part of the charm of this project is it is it is a little existential, you know, and that's kind of hard to put in a script. But visually, when people see it and there's feeling behind it and there's juxtaposition, um, I think I'll get the reaction that I'm going for. Man, that's, you got to get shit done, man. It's, Thanks to you, know, you, man. Thinking about it is not going to get it done. I mean, that's... No, no. Unfortunately. <laughs> well, I guess you could say unfortunately, but I guess now thinking about it, it's actually fortunately. Yeah. That's, you got to actually take action. And I, we both learned that. that yeah. 
you, know, you can have all the planning and reading mm-hmm. and preparation, whatever, but it comes down to just doing it. Yeah. I mean, how many mornings did we wake up on our Saturday? You sacrificed your Saturday to wake up early and lug this equipment or these mannequins or this set decoration to this movie theater or to this warehouse or whatever. And we just played around, you know, like it's, it, it does take sacrifice, but it, it could be fun. It could be, it's not fun when you have to wake up early. It's not fun when something is heavy and you have to move it across the, 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 the patio or whatever, you know, not, things aren't fun, but there's magic time when we're just playing around and we're in that groove and we're, we're dealing with certain things in our head and it's fun and you feel gratified. Think just like pumping iron. Once you do it, once you work out, you're on that endorphin high, man. Yeah, exactly. Cause I, it felt great because it's like, you know, helping you make this project come to realization. It's like, you know, it's, that's payment in itself. It's like, man, you know, he's doing something. And then as we talked about before, that got me to like, okay, he's doing it. I need to get off my ass and do something. Mm-hmm. By the way, I want to say uh, congratulations on Mr. Sammy, who's the newest uh, blend uh, uh, member. Samuel's yeah. blend coming out soon. I yeah, guess. <laughs> I, I want to know what he thinks of the trailer. What he thinks is his pop, how his pop did. So I'm sure he's gonna think, "Oh, that was cool, Dad." Yeah, if it was being released now, he'd probably pee in his diaper. That would be. <laughs> that's. <laughs> I think it's gonna be my harshest critic. He's gonna fall asleep through it. I just know he will. Or cry. He's gonna cry or fall asleep through it. So. Well, and I'm. I'm I guess that's about it for the this interview. But do you have any uh, anything you want to say out to well, the masses? Well, um, I will probably ask. You know, once I do choose which crowdfunding platform, I'm gonna you know have my short film displayed. I'll be I'll do an intro, and so you can see me and, and hear my uh, pitch, my plea for help. Um, I'll let you know which platform I choose, and you can maybe to get your listeners to at least take a look at it and refer to their friends if they can't contribute. I'm definitely going to put it in the description for them yeah. to go there. So, um, is there any place where I mean, I know you're not big into social media. Is there anywhere they can find you, or anywhere they anybody who's maybe listening want to reach out to you for any reason? Or? Good question. Actually, no, not really. I mean, other than I have a Facebook, generic old school Facebook. I, I am on Instagram now, but. Um, I just got my little toe wet on it, so I'm really not doing much on that. I'll put a link to his Instagram in there. You're going to help me create all this, right? You yeah, just help I'll, me create I'll help him out. I mean, I'm not an Instagram uh, master, but I'm I'm learning as I go, as no much as everything in life. But I'll put a link to his Instagram in the show's description as well. And, um, and I, I think you're doing good work, man. I, I keep listening to your show. and It's, it's, it's evolving as well. That's so. it. I mean, just like how... You say that your the movie's going to evolve. You know, you know when you film it, things are going to change. Like this podcast, I mean, it's, it goes back to what we were talking about before. I just wanted to get it started, and then you learn as you go. And that's that's for everybody out there who's listening. Is you don't it, it's so. And I'm going to go on a little tangent here, but Please. when you were talking about like, is there any hesitation releasing the movie and? And then what I thought about releasing this podcast is part of it is like, man, I'm putting myself out there, you know, and then, but then when you realize like it, all that disappeared as soon as I just did it. Mm-hmm. And it was like, before I wanted to press that publish button, publish <laughs> the first episode, I was kind of like hesitating. And then when I finally did it, it's like. I should have done this yesterday. I yeah, yeah. I should, I should have fucking done this, you know, two years ago when That's I thought it. of it. It's like, That's and right. that is something that I need to stress to everybody out there is like. 
it's never, and I've talked about this so many times on the show, it's never as bad as you think it's going to be. Yeah. You know, it's right. our mind that just blows it way out of portion. And then when you finally do it, you're going to tell yourself, if any of you guys are ladies who are young, or even if you're old, you know, whatever, yeah. if you're 60 years old, right. you're going to tell yourself, like, why the fuck didn't I do this sooner? Exactly. Because you don't want to be on your deathbed thinking, like, I should have fucking did this We shit. regret the things we didn't do, not the things that we did. Exactly. And uh, that's it. Yeah, you're gonna, yeah, don't, don't, don't hesitate. And ego, ego will delay you. Yeah. Your own ego, like, oh, well, shoot, what if my family sees me this or blah, blah, blah. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you, you put your, you literally put your face on this podcast, you know, like Howard's Blend. I mean, you're, you're not selling you per se, but you're representing your words with your face. It's all one thing. So, you know, balls out, man. I mean, another headshot to change this. Anytime you just keep getting more handsome, just keeps, it's like a nice bottle of wine, man. You're like a Sean Connery of podcast, man. It just ages. (laughs) Sean Connery of podcast. Uh, That's going to be the new, the new tagline for the show. The Sean Connery of podcast. Do it. Well, Stefan, man, thanks so much. I love you, man. I really do appreciate all your help, dude. I love you, man. Yeah. I love you more. And by, yeah, I, I love you. I, I, by the way, we've been friends since uh, the first grade. Yep. And we're in our 40s now. So, again, this is a rare friendship. I'm really grateful for it. Absolutely, man. You're my best friend, dude. This bump. Back at you. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Howard's Blend. If you have any questions or comments, my email address is in the description of the show. In addition, the show's description will have where you can find me and Stefan on social media. Now, if you enjoyed the show and you found value in it, please leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Now, if Apple Podcasts isn't your thing, I'm also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play, so you can catch the show there, too. Now, in addition to that, please tell a friend. It's a huge favor for me for doing this show as a service to you. So word of mouth is excellent. Just like we say in the show, when you have a no-budget film or a no-budget podcast like this, the referral is so important for trying to get legs under the show and to grow the audience. So I would greatly appreciate it. So with that said, thanks again for listening and go work on your dreams. (laughs) 